At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 113. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. Children really pay attention more to what we do than to what we say. Well, hello, veggie lovers, and welcome back to another episode in the pediatric series for August of 2020. And today I have Dr. Laura Pridemore for you, who is also a board certified pediatrician. She has some great tips, but before we get to her interview, a few reminders, there are now two different ways that you can support My podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio, you can become a patron, which is super fun because as a patron, you get lots of special perks and content that nobody else sees. It's almost like a little membership group, super fun. And through the end of August, anybody that joins the $20 patron level will get an autographed copy of my book. Super exciting. So if you want to learn more about that, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the Dr. Yami. You can also find it in the show notes. That way you can look at the membership levels and see if that's something that you would be interested in doing to support my work. It'll support my podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio, as well as my YouTube channel, Veggie Doctor TV, which I really want to fill with even more videos, recipes, restaurant reviews, those kinds of things. In addition, I have set up an affiliate store that has all of my favorite things, things that I use in my day-to-day life, and maybe something that you're considering purchasing for yourself. If you are, and if you purchase it through my affiliate store, 
then I'll get a little percentage of that. And that really helps support my work. So you can find those products at dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash shop, S-H-O-P. So go check those out. In addition, if you just want free resources, you're looking for how to replace dairy, how to replace meat, you want a plant-based shopping guide, lots of other great goodies, check out my free resources at dryami.com forward slash free. You can have one, you can have them all. And thank you for everybody that has read my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love Healthy. I really appreciate you reading it, sharing it, leaving me a review on Amazon. When you contact me on social media, I swear to you that it makes my day, it makes my week. It makes me so grateful that my book is reaching people who really need it right now. I really appreciate it. Before I tell you about Dr. Pride more, I want to read a review on Apple Podcast by Noisive49. It's entitled Podcast Number 101. I liked Podcast 101 with Eric Adams. I agree with him on doing the right thing. You said he is running for mayor of New York, and I hope he wins. He is everything government needs right now. Your podcasts are very amazing, and I like them a lot. You have so many interesting people you interview that I can't wait for the next podcast. Keep up the good work and keep sending me more. Well, Noisev49, thank you so much, and I agree. Eric Adams is amazing. He is a hero, and I'm also rooting for him. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a health professional. Okay, so let me tell you about Dr. Laura Pridemore. Dr. Laura Taylor Pridemore is a board-certified pediatrician of over 18 years. Even in medical school, she had an interest in nutrition as a result of her family's history of type 2 diabetes, coronary artery disease, heart attacks, and strokes. So after hearing a local lecture on the China study, she became inspired to learn about whole foods plant-based nutrition. She received a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Cornell University and has attended all seven of the international plant-based nutrition healthcare conferences. In 2016, she gave the first pediatric presentation at the International Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference in Anaheim, California, and in 2017, shared the presentation with the local Charlotte Pediatric Society. She has voraciously collected and read as many books on the subject of whole foods, plant-based nutrition as possible. Recently, her passion has expanded to lifestyle medicine, which incorporates not only a mostly whole foods, plant-based way of eating, but also regular physical movement, stress management, quality sleep, and supportive relationships. Her lifestyle motto for her patients is eat, move, rest, connect. And her nutrition motto is eat from the garden, drink from the well. Dr. Pridemore recommends lifestyle medicine with her pediatric patients and families for both well visits and sick visits. Establishing healthy eating and sleep habits early are key for a lifetime of health. I think you're really going to love Dr. Pridemore and all of the great tips that she has. 
how humble she is and how willing she is to allow us to learn from her own experiences of raising her two daughters. So thank you so much for joining me on this pediatric series. I hope that you're loving it. Please give me all your feedback. Tell me what you like, what you want me to do better next year for the next year's pediatric series. So thank you so much. And now let's listen to Dr. Laura Pridemore. Dr. Laura Pridemore, what a pleasure to have you on Veggie Doctor Radio today. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I have been recommending your books to all my patients. As soon as it came out, I Amazoned it. I think I even pre-ordered it. Um, but it's like, you got to read this. You got to read this. You got to read this. So I tell it to all my patients. So I really Aww. appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Well, I want to learn about you. So can you please start out with telling us about your plant-based journey? Well, it sort of started actually when I was younger, lots of type 2 diabetes and heart disease in my family. My father was a family physician. My mom was a nurse. And so in the 70s, when I grew up, um, the low fat craze was sort of the thing. So my mom read as much as she could about heart disease at that time. And so that was kind of what I thought was normal. Um, I mean, I grew up in the South and it was pretty much a much of meat and two veggies at dinner, mm -hmm. um, maybe a starch. And then I read more nutrition as I got to medical school, just because I was interested in it with my family history. And then after the birth of my first child, I heard a local lecture about the book called The China Study. Mm -hmm. And it totally flipped on a dime, everything that I had learned and read that A, heart disease could be prevented and that B, it could in some cases be reversed. And so, um, you know, I dug in in just the cancer and the diabetes and all that. So I bought the book. Um, then I got Dr. Esselstyn's book, Prevent Reverse Heart Disease. I took the online plant-based nutrition course through Cornell and um, the rest is history. And my um, now 12 year old daughter um, was like, mom, do you ever read anything else other than plant-based or now lifestyle medicine? I've included that a little bit more recently. Um, she actually forced me to get a, a novel at the, at Barnes and Noble the other day. <laughs> so that's pretty much all I read. She's like, mom, you need to relax. Okay. <laughs> um, so how many children do you have? I have two. So I have a 16-year-old and I have a 12-year-old. And um, and I think when they were little, we did better than most, um, you know, with getting fruits and vegetables in. So um, I learned along the way. I made a lot of mistakes. And so that is one thing with my pediatric patients. Now I tell my parents, look, you know, I made lots of mistakes. I've tried to read and learn to undo my mistakes. And I'm trying to help you not make the same mistakes I did. Yeah. Um, so I'm not perfect. I give you that disclaimer right out of the box. Oh, well, good, because I'm not either. So, phew. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I don't think anybody is, or I think it'd be really hard to be totally perfect. Um, okay. So you started learning about this after the birth of your first child. So it's been mm -hmm. a while. Do you, Did it take you a while to transition yourself, or did you do it pretty quickly? How, how was it as far as your eating transition? You know, it was absolutely a process. Um, like anything, I think you take one or two steps forward and maybe a half step back. And I think as long as there's forward progress, that's the name of the game. Um, we had trouble conceiving our second child. I had my first one at 38. Um, my second one was born at 42. 
Um, we had miscarried twice in between. And of course, you know, being a very driven person, I'm like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? So I got lots of fertility books and I started reading and to get pregnant with my second child, I was totally plant-based. I had one dessert on a Saturday night. Um, there was no alcohol. I started practicing gratitude for what we had. Um, um, and then one acupuncture treatment and I got pregnant with my second daughter. So a plant-based um, diet actually helped me conceive our second one. And then I kind of backed off a little bit. Um, and then as I started reading more about plant-based, at that point, my second one was a toddler and I kind of started ramming it down their throats. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. That <laughs> does not work. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, super interesting. So it sounds like your journey has had lots of lessons, some ups and downs and things like that, which I think is, is something that gives us the ability to really relate to patients because it's not something that's easy right away for a lot of people. But once you learned about this and you know, you've been a pediatrician for 18 years, were you ever hesitant to talk to your families about plant-based nutrition or how has, how have you woven it into your practice? You know, in our society, we don't talk about nutrition. And then if you are the one who gets a salad for dinner, I mean, oh, that's just rabbit food. And it took me a while. I mean, we started changing in our house. So we would switch to veggie burgers or lentil tacos or things like that. We just kind of took the things that we liked and then converted them to plant-based. But in the office, I was like, how can I talk about this? I was a little bit hesitant at first because it's mm -hmm. so far from the norm. Mm -hmm. um, but the more I read, I'm like, how can I not? How can I not? Um, and so I start out when kids are little, just really trying to make sure that they start with fruits and veggies, um, you know, beans, not the puffs, anything processed you want to try to stay away from as long as you can. I mean, they're going to get some of that at some point. But if you start with real food, kids are going to learn to eat what they are given. If a child presents with a specific problem, so for instance, constipation, or if they have acne, I try to bring up the dairy issue. And some yeah. people look at me like, you got to be kidding me. You know, no dairy. Um, we're supposed to drink dairy. Milk is good for you. And I'm like, well, there are small studies in children that show that dairy elimination improves constipation. Um, also for asthma, I've had children who've had asthma symptoms at least improve and oftentimes their asthma symptoms resolve when constant, when the dairy is eliminated. So you just kind of have to take people where they are and say, would you be interested in hearing about this? You know, there are some small studies in children. Could I share these with you? And some parents are receptive and some parents look at you a little weird and they don't. And so you just try to keep planting little seeds along the way. And I think as long as there's forward progress, I think that's the name of the game. Yes. Oh, that sounds very similar to how I approach it. And it sounds like you take a bit of a coaching approach too. So we know that whenever we ask permission to share information, it tends to go better than if we just tell people, this is what you need to do, which is the expert approach that we traditionally take as physicians. But learning to, like you said, meet families where they are and help them for their goals, not for what our goals are, <laughs> which is hard sometimes for physicians because we're used to like, okay, compliant patient, this is what I want you to do and these kinds of things. So I love your approach. Well, is it safe to raise fully plant-based children? 
absolutely is safe. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is just making sure that A, there's a wide variety of fruits, veggies, beans, 100% whole grains, keeping the processed at bay. And I think the biggest thing is that balanced plate. I don't know if you've seen the, the Canadian food guide that came out the first of last year. I love the picture graphic of it. And I just show my patients that photo. And when you're eating a wide variety of fruits, veggies, beans, whole grains, you're going to get everything you need with the exception of a couple of things. Of course, anybody who is strictly plant-based is going to need to have B12. Um, I think vitamin D is a key nutrient as well, um, especially I tell kids if they're outside in the summer a lot and you know, you're going to be outside 30, 45 minutes, okay, you're going to get enough vitamin D. But during the school year, I try to encourage that they really get the vitamin D supplementation for strong bones. So as long as people are diligent about it and not going to the processed, you know, mm -hmm. you can be, you know, a veggie burger and a, a veggie hot dog all day long, but that's not going to be very smart about it. And a lot of times my adolescents will come in, well, I'm going to be vegetarian. I'm like, well, that's fine. But as long as you're smart about it, I'm okay with it. So yes. I think it's coaching them how to do it, having some good resources to give and um, making sure that, you know, you're continuing to have conversations and dialogue. Well, what's a typical breakfast? What's a typical lunch? Are you varying it? Because we get in such a rut and we want to be so narrow with what we eat and we need a wide variety. Yes. Okay. I love that. Okay. So we know that we want to eat more whole plant foods, decrease the processed foods. If you're fully plant-based, you need to be mindful about the B12. And in a lot of kids where I live, I live more north. And so vitamin D is important a lot of the year, actually. So um, at least half of the year, I'm pretty sure nobody's getting enough vitamin D here, you know, and then the other half of the year depends if they go outside, if they're wearing long sleeves, if they're wearing sunblock, they still might not. So it is one of those things that you need to work with your doctor to figure out whether that's something that you need to be supplementing in your own child. So how do you empower parents? to do the work that it takes to start integrating these habits. Like you said, it's so easy for us to just grab the convenience foods, the processed foods, get into our little routines. So how do you walk them through adopting some of these long-term healthy habits that are going to help us live long, healthy lives? So when a baby is first born, my first thing is getting them to sleep for sure getting the baby to sleep. And then once it comes to introducing foods, I really try to empower them that, you know, 70 to 80% of the type 2 diabetes, of the obesity, of the heart disease, some cancers, some forms of dementia, 70 to 80% of those can be preventable. And when children are raised on what is typically known as the standard American diet or the sad American diet, where they're eating highly processed foods, heavy meat, dairy with very little whole plant foods, by the, child, by the time a child is the age of 10, they are already walking into your office with visible signs of heart disease. Mm -hmm. You can see the little fatty streaks on the inside of the arteries by the time the child is 10. And to me, that's just... It's very sad. Um, so I try to encourage them, you know, when you're starting out with food, let's think of real food and not the processed food. I actually have, and I won't say the names of the fast food companies, but I actually have four and a half year old fast food, I have four different containers 
Um, one is a kid's cheeseburger meal that is four years old. And I take it and I'll open it up and show it to them. It's just dried out and hard with no mold on it. Um, okay. Chicken nuggets. I have some. I have a donut. Um, I have biscuits from a local biscuit place here in Charlotte. And I pull it out and I show them you know, what happens to real food? It's going to rot. It's going to mold. And you open this up and they're like, is that real? And the cheese on the cheeseburger literally looks like a plastic child's toy. And I'm like, this is what we're eating. And a lot of parents, and I get it, you know, sometimes we're better at home than others. And I get it. You're a working parent. You're trying to just get a meal on the, on the table and fill up your kid's belly so that they can go to sleep and you can go to sleep. I understand that I've been there. But I think the biggest thing is just really trying to empower them as much as you can reach for that real food. That's what's going to be the best way because they're going to eat what's given to them. So that's one of my little tricks. And I'll pull it out for my high school kids and I'll have parents take pictures of it. But that's pretty empowering right there. Wow. That's horrifying. I've heard of people talk about having those, but I've never actually met somebody that used that in their office. (laughs) So, whoa, that's incredible. Can you believe that? You know, that having that and being able to see it, but imagining what it's doing whenever you're actually digesting and having those molecules in your body and those chemicals and stuff. Oh my gosh, that's very, very scary. But I'm sure that it, it really does make an impact, especially with some of the teenagers that are already starting to be more open and aware of some of those things. So that's incredible. Well, you mentioned to me that, and and even earlier in this recording, that you feel like you made some mistakes when raising your own children. So if you could go back and do it again, what would you change? Tell me what, what are the mistakes you think you made and how do you help parents navigate so that maybe they avoid those mistakes or, or start getting on the right path sooner? I made lots of mistakes and I'm very... I'm very willing to admit right up front. And I think when I do that, at least I'm hopeful that I am approachable and relatable to my parents. I'm not, I'm the expert and you have to do it this way. But when you're starting out with foods, I think the most important thing is to know that kids come out really knowing what to eat and how much to eat. So I think structure is important if a child is allowed to graze all day long. Um, that is going to curb the appetite. They're not really going to understand when they're full, when they're hungry, how much to eat. So I think feeding on a schedule is huge. We pretty much fed on a schedule because our children were in daycare when they were little. So that's um, feeding on a schedule is pretty key. I think one of the ways where I messed up was, well, if you just eat your broccoli, then you can get your dessert. So what the studies have actually shown is when you're bribing, you're actually elevating the preference for the treat and you are decreasing the preference for the healthier food. Um, So that is a huge mistake right there. Um, The other thing that I would do, well, you're three years old, you got to have three bites and, you know, you're four years old, you need to have four bites. And what happens there is you're not really understanding that you're teaching a child to respond to external cues on how much to eat. We intuitively know that sometimes we're more hungry and sometimes we're not. And I try to empower parents that 
you know, if you're feeding on a schedule, you put out a balanced plate in a fun, upbeat way, a kid might nibble a little bit on this, maybe not much of that. They'll eat a carton of blueberries one day, they won't eat very much the next, and that's normal. Um, and I think it's just stepping back and realizing they're self-regulating and it's okay. Um, so when parents really do that, it makes a huge difference. It makes such a huge difference. Wow. Yes, for sure. And I think, and we can talk more about this as well, but I think that first of all, we learn how to feed our children that way because we were fed that way. (laughs) So it gets passed down from parenting styles. But I think also the other thing that triggers it is that parents get very anxious that their children are one, not eating enough or two, not eating enough of the good stuff, right? They're not eating enough broccoli. They're not eating enough spinach. Something horrible is going to happen. And that anxiety is what triggers a lot of these methods that they're using, which don't actually work. (laughs) Studies show that they don't actually work. It actually makes the mealtime more stressful for everybody. Mm -hmm. And in some instances, it actually causes the problem to get worse. So children, when we force them to eat will actually become more restricted and more fearful of coming to the table. And then the children that were trying to restrict their eating, then all of a sudden that's all they want to do is eat, right? So talk to me about how you help reassure parents about children's eating and and help them navigate those years when children are naturally a little bit more selective and maybe just don't eat as much as we think they should be eating. I definitely make that point. Absolutely. And I think the most important thing is you're looking at the growth chart every time, you know, they come in for their well visits, they're tracking along. And I tell parents, look, I don't care if a child is petite or if they're medium or if they're a bigger build child, it doesn't matter as long as the growth curve is steady. We are all differently proportioned, differently sized. And as long as their growth is steady, I think that is huge. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. That first year of life, a child will double their weight by four to six months, and they typically triple it by a year. And this second year of life, so from the first birthday to the second, I tell parents, look, you know, Johnny's only going to gain on average four to six pounds this whole year. That is a huge difference from where it was the first year. You're used to seeing in your mind these big weight gains, and it's not going to happen this year. So if I get a pound a quarter, Johnny's going to be fine. Um, And then it's just holding their hands and just really helping them to wrap their head around the fact that they sometimes, sometimes they eat more, sometimes they eat less. Sometimes they're going to eat more at you at one meal, and sometimes they're going to have a few bites, and you let it go. You feed on a schedule, you provide it, and you let it go. It is going to be okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm saying that all the time. It's going to be okay. They're right. going to be okay. <laughs> Just breathe. It's okay. And remember how much you think they should eat is not necessarily how much they need to eat in that moment. Maybe they didn't poop yesterday and they were a little backed up. So their tummy's not going to be as full. Maybe they're going through a growth spur. You were at the park all day. They're going to need to eat more. 
Yes. So you just and have we, to let them self-regulate. We have major portion distortion anyway oh, in the United States. Absolutely. And so it's really hard because we're used to these huge portions for adults. And then in our minds, we're like, okay, well, we think a kid should have about this much. And when they're not eating that much, we, this, this whole parent anxiety, but you know, I understand how it feels because I can be in the office and help counsel a family. And then I'm at my own dinner table with my children. And I get those little inklings of like, uh, cause my little one, he, he's definitely the one that is very intuitive. So he can actually be like, take one bite of chocolate cake and be like, eh, I don't want to, I'm like, what the? where did you come from? He's not genetically related to me. So that's probably why, but anyway, it's, it can be very anxiety provoking when you feel like your child is not eating enough. So I thank you for helping parents navigate that because it's very tricky, especially between one and five years. Those years can be pretty tough for, for the kiddos and the amount and the, the types of food that they select to eat. So, okay. Well, you told me that one thing that you've gotten really into recently is telomeres. So can you tell us a little bit about what telomeres are and why we should care about them? <laughs> so telomere is the little end cap on the ends of your chromosome. So the analogy is if you think about a shoelace, there's a little plastic cap on the end of a shoelace. And that plastic cap is there to protect the, tel- the chromosome, the genetic material from unraveling. And so telomeres can either get longer or shorter based on our lifestyle habits, which is very cool. They've done studies. Many studies have documented that your lifestyle can either shorten them or lengthen them. So when they're longer, your genetic material is more protected. And so you're protected more from type 2 diabetes and cancer and and dementia, lots of things. So when we eat well, And my motto for my patients is to try to really focus on eat from the garden, drink from the well. I never try to convince anybody to be 100% plant-based, but I think at the end of the day, it's more plants, less animals, not only for health, but for environmental sustainability, and more whole foods the way nature gave it, and less of the process. So the closer we can get to that end of the scale, the more um, your your telomeres are going to be protected. Um, The other thing that can be helpful in terms of protecting your telomeres are movement. Move your body every day. We are so sedentary. Um, And now with the pandemic, you know, people really don't want to get outside. I'm like, you can go for a walk and get your kids outside. They need the vitamin D. They need the exercise. So movement has actually been shown to lengthen the telomeres. Um, Rest. So resting your mind in terms of stress management, getting enough sleep huge in terms of protecting your telomeres. Social connection and support with your family. And again, with friends, I know it's a little bit hard right now with the pandemic, but I think you can FaceTime relatives. Or um, I tell my patients, if you, my teenagers, if you want to go to the tennis courts and be on opposite ends of the tennis court and hit a tennis ball, I'm okay with that right now. Um, But social support, all four of those things actually lengthen our telomeres Um, What happens is there's an enzyme called telomerase, which repairs the enzyme. It's an enzyme that actually repairs the telomeres to lengthen it. And when we don't do those four things well, our telomeres are shorter. So when you hear the saying, our genes load the gun, our lifestyle pulls the trigger, the length of telomeres totally plays into that. Yes, I love it. 
And that's one of those things that we talk about when we reference the blue zones too, is that people in the blue zones are doing things that help give them this longevity, which is probably what's happening. They're probably protecting and lengthening their telomeres by doing all of these different lifestyle habits. Tell me a little bit more about drink from the well. What do you mean by that? Eat from the garden, mostly plants, obviously, and then drink from the well, water. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with water? And we just have this perception that, oh, I can never drink just water. Well, yeah, we can. If you need a little flavor, I try to, my girls call it spa water. So it might be cucumber mint or some berry water or, you know, an orange lemon lime water, but just have some slices of fruit or some mint leaves and water and you've got some flavor. But water, I mean, we are three fourths, two thirds of three fourths water and we need water every day. In the office, I give my analogy to the I would give lots of analogies just to make my points, but I'm like, if you cut a flower and you stick it in a vase with no water, well, within an hour or two or three, the leaves and the petals are going to be wilty. I mean, eventually it's going to die, but they're going to be wilty. Well, that's what's going on inside your body when we don't drink enough water. We wake up dehydrated, start your day with a big glass of water. Yes. And it has measurable cognitive effects very quickly when we're dehydrated. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be on the top of your game, you got to hydrate. Okay. I love the spa water thing. Nobody's (laughs) ever called it spa water. I I love that. That's so fancy. So if I ever have any teenagers that I can't get them to drink, I'm going to tell them, have you heard of spa water before? It's very special. Just the (laughs) night before. (laughs) Yeah. Just the night before a pitcher, you know, put your, whatever flavors you want in the bottom, dump some ice, put some water on, stick it in the fridge. The next day you've got spa water. And you just add a fuzzy robe and you're good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you on that. Okay. That's great. I love it. What would be your wildest dream come true in regards to children's lifestyle habits? Like if all of a sudden all of your patients started doing a certain thing, what would be like your wildest dream? So the first thing, um, it would have to go to my, the four habits. My motto is eat, move, rest, connect. So eat mostly real stuff, move your body, rest your mind and your body, and then um, social support and connection. So I think the first thing is just really having that preference and love for and desire to eat mostly real food, mostly plants. I think not only just for their body, um, but also for environmental sustainability. And just recognizing that the fast food companies are in this, and the processed food company, big food is in this to make a profit. Mm -hmm. They're not in it for any health benefits at all. Mm -hmm. And I think um, moving, just getting outside every single day, some type of movement, um, and then disconnecting from that technology. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I mean, how many hours a day are these kids on technology? Um, I do another little, um, exercise with them. And if a person does one hour, what I call fun or passive technology, the, you know, TikTok, Instagram, whatever. If a person does one hour of that every single day of the year. So if you take one, you multiply it by 365 and then you divide that number by an eight hour typical work day or a school day, you get the number 45. So one hour of technology a day is the equivalent of going to school 45 days in a row with no weekends off and no vacation days off. Mm 
And it just adds up and it really takes away from their lives. And I just tell my patients, I'm like, look, I've known you since you were born. You're, um, you know, you're a great kid. You've got a good head on your shoulders. In the world right now, we need the light and love that you have on the inside, you know, to give back and volunteer and, and not waste it on social media. So I try to really empower them from that aspect. So I'd have to say those three things right there. Um, well, my four, eat, move, rest, connect. Wow. Okay. So just one hour a day for yeah. a year is the equivalent yeah. of 45 work days? Yes. So two hours a day would be 90 days in a row, no weekends off, no vacation days off. It really Oh my gosh. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way. Now I never want to be on my phone again because I highly value productivity. <laughs> I'm just like, that is a lot of time I could be doing all kinds of awesome things. So do well, you feel like whenever, it, yeah, no, go ahead. So I think it's, it's part of our lives. And I think the biggest thing is to say, okay, I'm going to do TikTok, but I'm going to just do it for 15 minutes and be done. So I think you go into it knowing that it's not a black hole, but I'm going to do it for a certain amount of time and be done with it and, and have some boundaries so that it doesn't take over. Yeah. But TikTok kind of is a black hole though. Remember the first time <laughs> I, I, seriously, the first time I got on TikTok, because people kept talking, well, what, what is this TikTok thing? Okay, I feel super old. I got on TikTok and I felt like I had entered a different dimension. And then two hours later, I came out like this zombie, like what just happened to me? So I can't even imagine only spending 15 minutes on TikTok because it's meant, it's like meant to draw you in, you know, like that's, that's it's yeah. like this brain thing, you know, and I think they're getting smarter and smarter because they get data that actually tracks how long we're on there and how long we're watching certain things. And it's made to be like this immersive thing that you're staying on forever. So I think what you're saying, especially for younger people, teens and, and these preteens that are on these devices already they would have to be very mindful about it. They would have to be very deliberate. And we know how hard it is even for us as adults. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe where some parenting comes in. What? How do you talk to your parents about media time and phones and all of those? Do you have certain recommendations for them? Well, when they're younger, of course, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends none. I think it's less than two except for FaceTiming family. Okay. Um, and I'm like, just keep it off. I mean, the studies when they're, when they're young, you they don't need to really have it. When they're younger, the more they're affected early on. I mean, it can affect attention in school. It interferes with sleep. And of course, we know that screens right before tech, right before bed decreases the production of melatonin. Um, actually just took a, an online sleep course from Dr. Mark Hyman, functional medicine, nationally recognized um, functional medicine doctor back in April. And when we have the blue light that comes in from the screen, it, it affects our brain so we don't produce as much melatonin. But this is the new key I did not know. But in a growing child, they are much more disproportionately affected. So they actually have mm. even less melatonin production. Um, they're more affected than an adult. So just making sure that they're that it's not overtaking their, you know, their lives. So I try to say for sure no more than one hour on a school day, because I'm not going to be naive and say they're never going to do it, yeah. but no more than one hour on a school day. Um, and then no more, try no more than two hours on a non-school day. Cause when kids are in school, if they're on, you know, technology an hour a day, I mean, they've got to get their homework. They need to get outside. They need to get sleep and kids aren't sleeping very well these days. 
Um, so yes, there, there's a lot of priorities that are competing there and that, that media can be very alluring to many people. Okay. That's great advice. What do you wish more parents knew? What do I think I wish parents knew? I think that their words matter. Um, when children are younger, especially, they are so much more easily programmable. And I'll give you an, an example. So my younger daughter went to a new school in the first grade. And when she went there, she was quiet. She was reserved, normal, new people, didn't know anybody. And kids would ask her, are you shy? You're quiet. Are you shy? And she's the least shy kid on the planet, okay? The least shy kid on the planet. So now she'll be a rising seventh grader. She thinks that she is shy and quiet in school. So mm -hmm. words matter. Um, when, kid, when parents come in, when they're toddlers, oh, my toddler's such a picky eater. I'm like, you know what? Let's put that word, at, let's just take that word out of your vocabulary because what your child is doing right now is being very normal. Yes. Or you see a toddler went around someone new and they actually cower behind a parent's legs because they're in a new situation. And the parent will say, oh, they're just being shy. I'm like, no, they're being normal. Mm -hmm. So especially when kids are younger, I think really making sure that your words matter um, and also praising effort. Um, as opposed to good job or good girl. This is a huge one for me because we don't go through life with someone saying good job, good boy, good girl. And if you'll hear it, parents say it all the time. And why not let's use the encouraging words like, I am so proud of you for how hard you worked out on that soccer field. I know it was a tough loss today, but man, you kept getting after it and you really worked hard. Or when a child shows you a picture that they've just um, you know, drawn, Wow, look at your color choices. I really like your color choices. Look, you've really been working on trying to color inside the lines or whatever, but you're praising the act and not the effort. So kids can build that internal resilience and drive because we don't go through life with somebody telling us good job every five minutes. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, just for the listeners out there, these are skills that you can learn and develop. So I feel like the majority of people like, you know, definitely getting that growth mindset instead of the fixed mm. mindset, because I definitely had that as a parent before where I believe that there's just some people that are naturally, you know, just great. And if you're either a great parent or you're not, and I thought I was one of those not great parents until I realized like, Oh, I can actually build these skills. And now I think I'm a pretty good parent, but definitely earlier in my parenting career, I felt like there was a lot of things I didn't know and I couldn't do but then I started practicing and implementing. And I think that our word choices, definitely, just like we were saying before, you're not going to be perfect. And sometimes things are going to slip out that you're like, oh, maybe I could have said that better. But then next time, just try a different approach or, or, or improve that. But it, it is one of those things you can learn. You can learn how to speak to your child that way. And that's why I'm really uh, excited to be a grandparent because I feel like that by the time I'm a grandparent, I'm going to have some of these things down. So give me like another 15, 20 years. I'll be good at this. So 
<laughs> and then right. I, I think it's important when we do lose it, and we all are going to lose it. Um, I think it's just important to recognize and say, you know, hey, mommy really lost it right there, and I'm really sorry, and I should have, you know, I should have handled it this way. But just know, I still love you, and and just repair. So we're all going to lose it, and with any relationship, whether it's a parent relationship, a spouse relationship, or a friend relationship, um, you just you repair um, and and move forward, and try not to make the same mistake again. Yes. And at the same time, you're teaching them that you're teaching them how to go back and resolve issues instead of just pretending it didn't happen or Mm. instead of pretending like everybody should be perfect, which I think sometimes can happen when kids don't see you saying, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I messed up. You know, I think that that sets a really good example. All right. Well, speaking of habits, I'd love to know what personal habit you are most proud of. How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? I think the thing that I am most proud of is just that I have tried to learn as much as I can about whole foods, plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, um, and then not only try to keep it going for me, but for my family. Um, I'm not perfect. I'm not 100% plant-based, but I'm pretty close. I'm about 90%. But even despite um, the way society is, um, even when we're on vacation, I mean, we are very conscientious about going and and making sure that there are plant-based options or are navigating it. And it's tricky. It definitely is a little bit more of a challenge, um, but just being intentional about those plant-based options. Because I do think not only for health, but environmental sustainability, we've got to get that way. So I hope that answered your question. Yes, I love it. That's beautiful. How do your, it's two girls that you have, right? Mm -hmm. How do your daughters feel about it now? Do you guys talk about the diet and how you eat? Well, so they know at home. um, I mean, of course they have their treats. And again, because I was a little bit restrictive when they were younger, they definitely have a sweet treat. So we are definitely, they have them still. And I've had to kind of back off a little bit because Mm -hmm. um, too restrictive does not work. So just make a note of that one, please. Folks out there, listen. Um, so I've got, um, my older daughter loves to bake. Um, and she will also, she's a really good eater overall. Um, she still will like to go out every now and then and get a chicken sandwich. And I just don't really say a whole lot because again, if you're too restrictive, um, so I think she gets it, um, but I think it's a little bit harder in social situations because we just glorify the treats and the junk and the fast food. So she's definitely coming around. My younger one is a little bit more of um, we're making progress, but a little bit more of a struggle. And again, I know it's how I handle it when she was younger that's created this, but we're just trying to make sure that every meal, there's something from the garden, um, you know, at least five different fruits and vegetables a day. We don't always make it, but just starting from the garden and making sure that we get it every day. So again, it's a work in progress. We're better than where we were, um, but we'll get there. Yeah, for sure. And if, especially whenever you're getting into those teenage years, mm-hmm. it it can be, it, it brings up anxieties again, because teens can go out, they hang out with their friends, they bring food home, they can go and get food. And so especially for parents that really feel like they, they need to have a lot of control, it can be that time period again, when those issues come up. So uh, it's important to take a deep breath and just really let go of some of this, knowing that they're growing up, 
and they have to learn how to go out and make their own food choices too, that you've done a great job of setting a good foundation and providing all the health promoting foods at home. And they have to go out and, you know, test the waters and learn a bit on their own. So that can be hard. I do think, um, and I do this in the office too with my patients, I'm like, so if you go out and have a bacon double cheeseburger and a pack of fries and, you know, a milkshake, are you going to be able, if they're athletic, I'm like, are you really going to be able to go have a good practice or are you going to go have a good game? And they're like, no. I said, just listen to your body. And Mm -hmm. my older daughter definitely knows sometimes she still likes to eat things because she just likes the way they taste. Um, But she realizes after the fact, that really didn't make me feel so good. And I think as long as you're just making that connection, I tell my parents, my patients and my parents too, I'm like, your body's going to tell you if it doesn't like what you're doing. It's going to tell you. Yeah. And that's why it's so important not to be that external force telling your child they should or shouldn't eat anything because then they can't make the connection. So talking to them about listening to their bodies and tuning in, and then they have to go out there and kind of test a little bit, and then they can start putting together. And then they become an empowered eater. You know, They can be empowered as they go and navigate through life without us. So sad. All right. So last thing, this has been so great. Thank you so much for all of this great information, but can you leave my listeners with one call to action? What one thing can they start doing today to improve their child's health? I think first thing is just really take care of themselves and be a good example because children really pay attention more to what we do than to what we say. Um, we, they are listening and paying attention. It's funny. My younger one now will come all of a sudden back and she'll quote, blah, 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 something that I've said. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I say that? Um, but you have to just take care of yourselves and, um, be a good role model. Nobody's perfect. It's not that, but it's just, um, making sure that how we treat them every day, are we treating them with love and respect and kindness or are we um, being a bossy bully? Um, But it's just um, really true connections and um, being that good example and role model for them. Yes. I love it. Oh, this has been so fabulous. Thank you so much for your time today and your experience and all the wonderful tips that you have for the listeners. I really appreciate you coming on to Veggie Doctor Radio. Gosh, thank you so much. I just love the habits because I just am so passionate about trying to really help as many people as I can not make the same mistakes that I did. Um, and so if any little words of words of wisdom or pearls, uh, nuggets of good information helped, it's been so worth it. And I really appreciate your book and your um, allowing me this opportunity. Oh, well, this has been great. Well, I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Oh, you too. Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. 
Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.